Asia Tech Podcast with Graham Brown and Michael Waits. Michael Waits. Hi, Michael this is Michael Waits with Asia Tech Podcast Stories. I'm talking to Jen Long, the CEO and founder of Wandersnap. Jen, how are you? Good. How are you? Thanks so much for having me on. Thank you for coming. Um, it's been a while since the last time you and I talked. I think it was July if I look back at my calendar and just try to figure out what it was. It's been a long time, though. I can't believe it's been since July. Um, it feels like so much has happened, a year away at least, but I'm glad we got to finally reconnect. So thanks for having me. Oh, it's, it's my complete pleasure. So why don't you tell me a little bit about where you're from and then kind of how we got here, and then let's move forward and talk more in depth about Wandersnap, what it is, how it's changed over time as well. Sure. Um, my name is Jen Long. Um, born in Hong Kong, grew up in Vancouver, Canada, um, in a pretty Shanghainese household. So um, those three spots were always um, home uh, to an extent. Uh, I spent most of my career so far uh, in Shanghai building retail brands and consumer lifestyles um, and started this company about a year ago um, when I just saw how overpriced in general content was, um, how deeply mismatched it was, where there are a lot of people who would like to have the job opportunities, um, and those sort of planted the early day seeds for Wandersnap. Can you tell me a little bit about what it means to grow up in a Shanghainese household? Only because you brought it up. I'm just curious what that means. Because <laughs> you threw it out there, so I'm going to ask what it means. Sure. I think it's in um, work ethic. It's in values. Um, it's in the lens of uh, you work hard and uh, you can accomplish whatever you want to accomplish. But in in, in sort of this speed um, that's unparalleled. And, and my dad was a serial entrepreneur as well. So I think I saw through him his journey through the city and the country um, and what he got to accomplish. Yeah, I think it's really different um, growing up in a household where one of the parents doesn't have a traditional job, like doesn't work at a big company. I think it's really mm -hmm. interesting to watch. You know, from my perspective as well, you and I spoke about this earlier in the year, but I have a 16-year-old daughter. Mm -hmm. I don't think she has any idea what I do. Most of her parents have traditional jobs per se. Mm. You know, they wake up, they go to a place every day, they get a paycheck from somebody, and then they come home and kind of complain a little bit, I'm guessing, just based on what mm. types of things she says to me. And I asked her one day at dinner, you know, what do I do? <laughs> she said, mm. I, I don't really know. And when people ask me, I'm not really sure what to tell them. But I know you do something <laughs> on your own, and that you're trying to build something constantly mm. and help other people build things. At least she gets that much of it. But I think it's different growing up in that kind of household where you know, it's not like you're not working for somebody, you're working for something. I think it's a big difference. Yeah, and, and I suppose the more realistic aspect of this kind of upbringing was the sacrifices involved and cost to this entrepreneurial journey. Right, right. I've also seen it from a child's eye. And, um, and it's not a good or bad or right or wrong. I think it's just a very realistic component to this experience. Um, yeah, so I'm grateful for being able to see that through my family. Yeah, it's interesting, right, because the, the market tends to, at least recently, tends to sort of glorify mm. this whole notion of being an entrepreneur. And boy, mm -hmm. it's, it's a slog. <laughs> <laughs> it's survival of the fittest in every sense of that phrase. But it really is, though. Yeah, the survival and the fittest component. Yeah, um, for sure. And 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 I think the glorification 
if the work presumes that there's this entitlement that you would hit certain traction or you would hit certain success and success right. also looks so differently to each individual and growing up in that around that I saw the grit that was involved the perseverance sure. um, and of course personal sacrifices to just uh, make use of you know we all only have so much time in the day to do what we want to do yeah and that's do, do the things we want to do even potentially outside of the thing that we're trying to build correct it's just really fascinating to me Anyway, so tell me a little bit more about um, Wandersnap, and tell me how it started. And we, you know, we talked a little bit before we started recording it. It's changed a lot in the last five months since we last talked. So I'm curious where it was then, and talk about where it is today too. Sure. So we started um, just almost a year ago now, um, early this year, um, when I went full time and left my careers in Shanghai to go about it. Um, we started off as just a traditional marketplace connecting mostly travelers and families with local photographers. Um, since then, now we've evolved more into a platform uh, for original content, serving both families and businesses. Um, and now we're in already 49 cities around Asia, uh, which is really, really exciting when the content comes in. When I first started it, the premise was actually around creating creative jobs, especially in uh, left behind uh, places around Asia, rural Bangkok, rural Manila. Uh, as a tourist is pulling out that selfie stick, I saw that there was a mismatch in that demand for personalized content with the job opportunity where a lot of these youth um, didn't have the luxury to become a creative freelancer. Um, and I experienced this firsthand when I was in Kathmandu in Nepal, um, and, and oh, I, right. I just realized, right. yeah, I realized that we didn't spend any more than three USD a day, and that covered three curry meals bottled with clean water, um, and yet it only cost three US. So if we can create these job opportunities where the upward movement of that income can be adjusted pretty arbitrarily based on a person's experience, review, not by seniority or age, then that was um, the core intent in why we started WanderSnap. And did the sort of prevalence of and the spreading of smartphones throughout the region have anything to do with this in the sense that, you know, there is this concept of the best camera you have is the camera that you're carrying with you. And since everyone's carrying a camera on their smartphone, did, did that have anything to do with it or, or am I just confused? Mm, I think it's actually uh, the one thing that keeps me up most nights. It's in thinking about are we um, in partnership or in competition um, with wider adoption of uh, better, higher quality smartphones. And at the very basics, uh, basis of it is that it shows this demand and smartphones are actually educating the potential of content um, as each individual as couples, as families, etc. Um, while cameras are getting better and better, if you look at iPhone X and just the way that they shoot portraits, right. um, it's actually going, the impact on the industry, it's, it's going to drive down the price per shoot for creators, whether you're a photographer, videographer, um, and we've already seen this downward pressure already. What we're trying to do is, while this downward pressure is um, in acting, we're creating still more jobs 
um, for the creators who wouldn't have otherwise had the booking. And additionally, uh, actually educating both families and businesses that there are still content um, that's high quality um, that a phone cannot actually shoot. Um, and so uh, that's part of the intent. And that's definitely what keeps me up most nights is thinking <laughs> about this interaction. So can you just run me through in more detail? There are multiple streams here for the Wondersnap business, right? There's a B2B mm -hmm. business. There's a B2C business. You've mm -hmm. built a whole bunch of technology around this too. Mm -hmm. um, and you have people that you have keep on retainer, I'm guessing, as well. It's just a whole bunch of stuff to talk about. So can we just drill down a little bit and tell me what the experience is like on both sides? Because there is still a two-way marketplace here, right, where there are content creators, but there are also content purchasers as well, right? Yeah, so let's start with the creator because without the creators, we don't have a community and we just don't right. have a business. Right. Um, and with creators, as I said, whether it's with iPhones or uh, let's say a, a free stock image site, um, the value of perceived photography and videography is going down. And creators around the world are frustrated by it. Um, they, they want more bookings. A lot of them probably do a full-time job and wouldn't be able to shoot full-time on freelance workload. Um, so that's what we're bridging. At the end of the day, our commitment to the creators is to create more jobs, help them make more money, um, and sustain it so then uh, some of them can actually go 100% on freelance work through our pipeline of uh, workflow. Um, on the individual side, so with B2C where we started, um, it is predominantly families um, who use our service. So uh, families using it at home for birthday parties, uh, anniversary moments, or when they go abroad uh, celebrating special trips. Um, it's a fairly easy to use platform, so it's all self-serve. They choose by style, availability, and budget, um, and they get to connect with the creator directly uh, to set up the shoot. Um, on the B2B side, um, we have two parts. One is um, mostly on retainer for content-rich businesses. So what I mean by that is um, when we thought about it, there's no business on the planet that can sell on ugly visuals. It just, whether you're selling rooms or dishes at a restaurant or right. uh, dresses in your retail store, ugly just doesn't sell, period. <laughs> right. I was, um, I was actually looking at your website and I was thinking, ugly doesn't sell. And I just thought about myself. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> you know, it's like I've got the face for radio. And, but it's true in the sense that... <laughs> I wouldn't say that. <laughs> it's, it's, it's actually true. But it's, but it's true in the sense that you know, if you're on Airbnb, right, or if you're just a new hotel, a new boutique hotel, which open all the time in Bangkok, right, if you open a new restaurant, you want Correct. the presentation of your menu, your food, your room to be reflected in the most positive light. And boy, if I were left to take my own photographs of whatever I was working on, I think it would really be detrimental to the growth of that business. And there's got to be somebody out there who can do it better than I can do. Right. And that's actually really important. Correct. And, and so that that exactly was the early days of why we thought about over the summer, really um, invested behind the B2B. Uh, it, there just wasn't even an education around the need right. for quality visual. It's just core to every business success. 
Um, but what we did was uh, creating affordable retainer plans. So they're manageable in budget. Um, the uh, clients can expect in line item how much they are spending. Um, typically, if they were to go through an individual freelancer or agency, budgets are easy to balloon. Um, there's a ton of different sources to bill an invoice, not to mention communicating with an army of freelancers. So we do all of that in-house, fairly automated for our B2B clients. Um, and some of them include Airbnb, Uber Eats, Deliveroo. Um, and we do that regionally for these content-rich um, businesses. Wait, so that's really interesting. So does that mean that if I'm an Airbnb host... In, I'm just going to pick it in Bangkok, right, since that's where I live, and I want to promote my location or locations on Airbnb, Airbnb itself will provide on retainer photographers that you've arranged for them or content creators that you've arranged with them that will then come and photograph my property? That's exactly it, yeah. Wow, that's kind of cool. And- and a lot of these businesses um, don't just function in one region. So right. one of the biggest strengths for Wandersamp, the fact that we started in so many places from day one, that became our strength in supporting these clients to not just shoot in Hong Kong, but also in Tokyo and Singapore, going through the exact same workflow and budget. And it's very easy to manage on their end. Right. So how do I – let's just walk through this again. I'm going on vacation with my family, let's say or with my significant other, and I do want to have recorded photographs of this trip. I just want to talk B2C for a second, then I want to get back to mm. B2B. Mm. And let's, again, let's say I'm going to Nepal or I'm going to you know, Tokyo. Can I really hire a photographer through the platform that essentially follows me around for a specified amount of time? Let's say I want a photo of me you know, at my favorite sushi place or you know, going, walking through Ginza or something. Is, can I do that for a day or two days through the platform? Yep, you can do that for one hour, three hours, a day or two days, completely up to you. How does that work? Um, in the case, yeah, so you would literally go on to wondersnap.co, search by the destination you have in mind, and then browse through the listings. The listings are organized by specialty, budget, and availability. Um, you can then click on and then browse between profiles. Let's say you've settled on Isabel in Tokyo. You can actually click on our profile and create a booking request all within her page. Um, when the creator receives this request, um, they will then reach out and confirm any last mile logistics. Uh, typically, that means uh, finalizing where to meet up, the actual time of the shoot, in case of anything changed, and most importantly, to walk through the shoot vision that you included in the booking. Um, so sometimes some clients, uh, for example, tonight uh, we have a booking for a meteor shower in Hong Kong. And so that uh, demands bringing a special set of equipment, dressing in a certain way, um, and these are all pre-qualified. Um, through that communication, the client is prompted to settle payments anytime before the shoot. Um, and it's through a safe and secure payment environment via Wandersnap. And the creator only receives this payment after they upload the gallery also via Wandersnap. So the guest can be assured um, that the money that they paid would actually guarantee someone showing up, someone creating to the standard, and then them uploading on time um, through a protected environment. Uh, so you intermediate that whole process through the platform. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And, exactly. that, and that creates the trust that something is actually, that the payment's actually going to get made on one side, but also that the photos are actually going to get uploaded on the other side. Exactly. And, and particularly with um, the B2C side of the business, privacy of the content is so important. Ah. Well, the reason why we mandate to these galleries to be uploaded via us is also to protect the usage of these visuals. Um, the, guest, the guest is always asked in the booking uh, form whether or not they have uh, the, the platform and the creators have consent to repost. If the family opted no, then it's on us to actually um, guarantee that um, and manage the creators to protect the privacy of these content. Right. So that brings up another issue, right? And that is who actually owns that content and what rights do they have overall? Mm-hmm. You kind of intimated about it, but I'm just curious on to the details of it. For the most part, the, the, the party that pays for it will retain the full rights of those visuals. That's the, the golden standard that we go for. Of course, in, in the B2B context, um, there are uh, adjustments to that on a case-by-case basis, right. um, but that's the intent. Interesting. So there are two schools of thought here. I'm jumping around mm. a little bit, but just because you've raised it, there are two schools of thought here. One is Focus on one geography, build that geography as you know as strongly and as deeply as you possibly can, and then expand yeah. into other geographies. And the other school of thought is, you know, have like four or five revenue streams potentially, because there's volatility around every revenue stream, and there's yeah. unknowns around every revenue stream. And if you can build four or five of them at once, then you're building a more robust business. And frankly, I'm leaning more towards the second one. I kind of always have. But I'm curious what the rationale was for you and the team to just expanding into so many markets so quickly. Like, what allowed you to scale so fast? Because that's really cool, yeah. I think. Yeah, so I admit it's part serendipity, part uh, strategic thought. Fair, fair enough. <laughs> the, the serendipitous part was, um, as I said, when we started, it was such a B2C travel-oriented business. And being based in Hong Kong, an average citizen travels 12.8 times per year, more than any other country, ethnicity, uh, by a mile. Wow. And we thought, with that kind of repeatable travel habit, um, the business should be scaling quite quickly. Right away. Um, right away. And the most important need for a traveler is that when they're getting on a plane somewhere, they need something there we need to provide. If the guest says, we're going to Osaka and we need a snapper, if we said no in that particular moment, yeah. the next time they go to the Maldives, they're not going to remember Wander Snap. Right. Um, so that was, on that premise alone, that's how we really um, went and created the community in all these different cities. It was just out of someone's request somewhere, asking for it at one point. Um, and the strategic thought after that was, um, when we looked at this map of all the creators that we had, we thought, what are the types of occasions or customers who value this coverage? And that's where the B2B part um, just came to light. And, and serendipitously, I think it became our strength um, when we pitch and, and suggest to work with corporations. Can you just talk a little bit about the challenge around opening services in, you know, how many did you say, 40-something cities? Yeah. It's just so yeah. hard, right? But you're, you're right in a way. And I'd like to just jump in and say this, right? In other words, if one of your clients is going, like you said, to Osaka, and then they use you and they like it, 
And then they're going to Hokkaido to go skiing, right? Or they're mm -hmm. going to mm -hmm. Jakarta for mm -hmm. a friend's wedding. And the first time they can use you, but the second time they can't, like you're left to guess, you know, where the next big city opportunity is. And I think once you lose somebody, they're never going to come back. So in your case, it almost seems like you had to be in not every city, but in major cities, at least, or major places of travel, particularly for people coming from Hong Kong, yeah? Yeah. So we literally, that, that's where the, the 49-something places um, originated from. Uh, those cover every metropolis in the region, uh, plus um, a hot destination like Niseko, Hokkaido right, during right, the right. winter times, right. and then uh, Borokai and Kosamui during the summer months. Um, that's that basically laid the seed for the coverage. Um, the challenges, uh, the most trivial one is that days are longer. Uh, we start very <laughs> early. <when> sure. <laughs> New Zealand and Australia is up. Um, and then we go all the way until, yeah, when Dubai and Doha are wrapping their day for the most part. Um, so that's, that's the trivial part. And then how do you, um, map the team's energy, whether it's customer service to tech support, um, while being still a really lean team. Um, that's a, a more trivial consideration. Um, there are cultural um, factors as well. So we realized that uh, when we started uh, doing work in, let's say, Jakarta, Kuala Lumpur, much more Muslim um, communities, the way the creators interact with the guests and even what the creators are expected to wear, um, how they communicate, Interesting. those became much more of a nuance. Um, and we definitely learned from some mistakes, um, right, for, for sure. sure. Yeah. Um, and those are not considerations you would think of, I think, from day one. Um, and then as well, uh, just the, the level of service expected from region to region varies deeply. And, and we actually have video content through a creator's onboarding um, to somewhat standardize and level. Um, a creator who's been a freelancer in Ho Chi Minh City probably uh, serves clients much differently than one in Singapore. And how we communicate and bring them up to speed, whether that's in suggesting how they price, how they communicate with the client before a shoot, during a shoot, what they wear, what they bring, um, all and, and even after client services, all those are the soft skills um, that, frankly, we still have much to improve on, and it's really important for our regional business. Yeah, so how do you learn those things? How do you manage them as well? In other words, do you have what I'll call, for lack of a better term, a brand ambassador in almost every city where you work, someone that doesn't necessarily work for you per se, but someone that says, okay, you're a new creator on a platform, right? You're a new snapper on the platform. Here are the sort of seven things that you have to do to maintain quality assurance, to continue to be on the platform. And here are the things we recommend you do based on this locality. Yeah, so there's a technology layer and a human layer. Tell With me. a tech layer, those are uh, obviously reviews. Um, reviews uh, score higher if you um, show up with certain behavior. Um, let's say your, uh, first, uh, your first response time. How quick do you respond to inquiries and messages? Um, what your existing standing ratings already are on your Facebook photographer's page, right. uh, which we offer an API that they can just plug in, even if they had zero understand bookings, uh, people can still uh, view what their track record um, has been. Um, and then as well, um, a lot of this 
does come down to um, the gallery that they do end up uploading, the experience they create with the guests um, while in person. And we try to use technology to help quantify that. On the human layer, uh, we call them super snappers. So it's not that we have uh, an ambassador in every city that we right, right. Uh, uh, operate in. That's very much the goal. Um, but we have one creator in Chiang Mai um, who's a popular Instagram influencer himself already. Um, he works with many different uh, hotels, tourism boards. And he actually has his own course on one of those uh, skill sharing websites teaching the basics to portrait photography. Interesting. So we worked with him to create this content, a video series, uh, to actually then go through some of these nuances that we spoke about, not just in the technique of the shoot, but more importantly, uh, the soft skills of making your uh, client feel comfortable. Yeah, I mean, just knowing how to say thank you, just knowing how to be polite is actually so important in your interactions with clients. Do do you notice that, or have you had the request for snappers to travel in the sense that, you know, let's say I interact with somebody in Jakarta who's just amazing, and then I'm traveling on to Bali, right? So still inside the same country, even though it's in a completely different place. Do people Mm -hmm. ask you if they can bring their photographers with them? Yeah, so uh, definitely. Um, I think a more localized example would be uh, when there's a festival in Hua Hin or in a resort, uh, they'll ask to book someone in Bangkok um, to bring them out. Uh, or in the case of Bali, then bringing someone to Lombok. We've had those requests. Awesome. The, the cadence is always that the client, should they want to do that and pay for to and from uh, transportation, right. uh, the choice is there. Um, the expectation is that we have enough of a coverage that we actually encourage people to co-create with the local. Um, I think with the traveler and, and in the B2C segment, um, they're more likely to uh, book a local anyway, given that they have constrained uh, time limitations on a trip. Sometimes with our B2B booking, they might just really, really prefer uh, the way uh, one individual shoots or the format that they technically can do, mm-hmm. and they're willing to fly them in uh, all the way to do a shoot. Um, I think the most dramatic example that we've had in this <laughs> was um, there was a request by a guest in Shanghai uh, for a reunion for her mom in Kinmen, Taiwan. Um, and this is an island in between China and Taiwan, and it's actually closer to get to from Xiamen, China, than it is to fly from Taipei. Um, we don't have any creatives there, <laughs> um, but it was a 40, 50 year reunion, very important for her mother. So uh, we ended up uh, looking high and low in Xiamen, Guangzhou, Shenzhen, and the resolve, uh, aside from visas and whatnot, in the end ended up where a Shenzhen photographer uh, happened to be at home in Xiamen visiting her family. And she took a passenger ferry across from China into Kinmen, Taiwan. I love and this. Shot <laughs> I just love this. That's so good. <laughs> shot this surprise reunion for her mother. Um, Mr. Ferry. So the guests ended up um, hosting the creator for one night in this hotel in Kinmen before she traveled back to Shenzhen. And 
that was a heck of a logistics from all parties involved and the creator's patience. But when those content come in, um, we know how important that is for the individual guests. And I suppose sometimes serving the B2B segment, you miss these very personal moments. Yeah. I was just going to say, like, you should see the look on my face. I'm smiling. It's in from the middle of that story to the end of that story. I'm smiling because, (laughs) because this is one of the things that's hard to convey. This is that type of story is hard to convey from a founder's perspective, right? Like in the end, in the end, we're all trying to make money, right? There's a profit motive here, but there's also that that experience of like running around trying to find the right photographer. They're not in the right place, but getting them to the right place. Happen to have a photographer or a snapper whose home is in the place where the reunion is going to take place. They take a ferry to get there. Like this is out of a you know out of a scripted <laughs> movie, and yet this is that's the real beauty I think of building for me at least, right? And I'm sure for you as well. Building businesses like this is that when that day is over. And when that gallery gets uploaded and whatever emotions are associated mm. with that event are kind of mm. captured on film, mm. well, that's good enough, isn't it? I mean, that's the reason why you do this kind of business. Yeah, I think as an entrepreneur, how I think of it is that the B2B will sustain the business, right. um, per- give us the liquidity that we need to actually innovate um, technologies that will keep us much further ahead, while the ultimate behavioral change, seeing individuals booking creators for their life moments, that's just going to take time for it to become mainstream. But that's the idea um, and the emotional intent of why this is so meaningful for the team. Yeah, that's just awesome. Can you talk a little bit about the technology that you've built and what the development of that has been like? Again, how that's changed over time as the business itself and the marketplace impact of this has changed over time as well. Correct. So with the core being marketplace, um, it gave us this leverage of having the coverage, um, having um, observations of guests from all walks of life, different income levels, different use cases uh, for why they would choose the service. But at the end of the day, marketplaces are uh, competitive in margins. Um, There are definitely a lot of different pure platforms popping up from all around the world, attempting to do the same um, uh, automation of the service. Right, right, right. Um, and the communication cost is quite high. So to create uh, and support a booking like the one that I just shared to Kinman, there were just so many layers of logistics, um, which were error-prone um, and very much dependent on our awesome customer success team. Right. So we were thinking, how can we actually scale uh, much more automated, almost in a SaaS format. And as I said, the thing that keeps us up at night is how do we work with or compete against uh, smarter and smarter smartphones? And I think the biggest difference between why someone will not choose to work with Wandersnap Mm -hmm. is that the content does not become available instantly. Creators typically take anywhere from one week um, to one month to actually deliver full gallery, especially the busy ones. The more packed their schedule are, uh, the less time they have to actually do the editing. So we wanted to solve this part of the chain, the bottleneck of instant content, and thinking about how can um, technology help to support that. So uh, within a few weeks, our team developed this live photo product. What is that? Uh, What it is... Yeah, what it is is imagine it's just a Android with an Android app connected to a camera. Any camera, whether it's Canon, Nikon, Sony, Fuji, um, it connects to the camera. So when the photographer presses the shutter button, 
that image is instantly edited uh, and watermarked and actually distributed to a dedicated landing page. So as an experience of an attendee, what that means is a photographer clicks the button, takes your picture, and then you pick up your phone, go to this website, and you can download your photo that's edited and watermarked right then and there. And then, and this. Mm-hmm, so I, I was gonna say, but then does more like sort of detailed editing take place after that as well? Correct. So in the first generation, um, I don't want to throw in the buzzwords, but it is just AI edited. It's light enhancements. Um, it's, as you can imagine, with a lot of event photos, um, the bulk of the shooting is ninety-five percent there. Right. The five percent adjustment is just for our color some brightness, um, and usually that's it. Anything that's more stylized will still be available for uh, editing, and our usual flow is uh, gallery delivery within one week. But the power of this live photo tool is for all the uh, event organizers, um, for uh, any store openings, marathons, sporting events, uh, weddings. Those are the types of moments where instant content um, it's just not even imagined so far, and we want to bring that um, to these types of businesses and just change the way people experience these edited visuals. Yeah, I mean, the interesting thing about that is it accomplishes two things, right? One is it satisfies the instant gratification of, I wonder what that photo looks like. I wonder mm-hmm. what, and then, but it also leads to the anticipation of, I wonder what it's going to look like when they're done editing it, right? So then you create mm. that, you create that internal demand, which to me is a really interesting way to keep people, you know, keep people's attention. Yeah, there's two more layers to that even. Um, the third, I would say, is that no creator wants to shoot 9 p.m. to 1 a.m. <laughs> and then go home and edit from 1 a.m. to 5 a.m. I didn't even think and about then, it, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then wake up red eyes, and then which leads me to the fourth layer. For the event organizer to receive that gallery at 9 a.m. the next day, and then pushing it to post on Facebook or Instagram. At that point, your event is already 12 hours too late, and later grams just don't go viral. Ah. So the moment has passed, and the very investment in why you created that experience lacked the last mileage, which is the content helping you create buzz. Yeah. Um, I forgot mm -hmm. about the whole sharing aspect of this. Mm-hmm. Right in the mm-hmm. sense that, in the sense that, one of the reasons to take the picture is to drop it onto Instagram or drop it on Facebook or Snapchat or Twitter or somewhere and just have it shared with all of the people that weren't there, that maybe wanted to be there or that couldn't be there, and then that gets shared globally in in the real meaning of the word global, like all over the world, but also globally to all your friends, right? And that's just it, is that wow. most of, if you think of the kind of content that is shared in events on a hashtag currently, unfortunately, those are mediocre content taken on a phone. Right. And at best, probably no editing because people are actually in the event and they're just quickly throwing on a filter. Those types of visuals don't sell. They don't inspire people to buy more tickets. Um, they might People might be browsing it on stories. But if an event organizer is putting all these investments to create this experience, our experience is that they actually want to either sell more tickets, get it talked about online, um, or at least reach a new audience. And the quality of the content is crucial to achieve that. Um, On the B2C use case, of course, uh, we're working with uh, wedding planners. I always marvel at why a bride walked down the aisle and the next morning on Facebook, it's usually an iPhone photo to say, hey, we got married. 
But what about that quality edited professional right. photo? Usually those don't turn around for a few months, especially for bridal photography. So we're hoping with live photo, we have all these different use cases to actually help solve the instant delivery of quality content. Yeah, I'm just I'm trying to get my head around that because that is one of the big differences that you talked about, you know, while we were offline. That that's a big change, right? And also a big technological challenge about how right. to be able to get that so it's good enough so that because there's a real difference in my mind, right, between a photo that I take and a photo that a sort of a trained and professional photographer takes, even the editing that happens later. I I think we might Correct. have talked about this a few months ago. Like I struggle and I think most people do with photo editing tools because at some level to get the photo to look really good, it's just very complicated, I think. Correct. It's a science in itself in post-production. Of course, technology is making that easier and easier, um, more automated, but there's still a craft in post-production itself. I think we so. Don't want, we don't want that craft to deter from people getting the content instantly. So if we could trottle this line where with live photo you get – um, especially event-type photos instant, you can still get the stylized edits waiting through our normal flow, but you're not losing that adrenaline of getting that visuals right away. Right. I mean, that was that's the point that I was talking about, was that, that instant gratification, I think, is just mm -hmm. really powerful. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I hope with this, then we position much more in competition to the smartphone, that between the Wondersnap experience and versus you clicking in on your phone, the quality and for the price that you pay, it's just going to be uh, at a premium with what the Wondersnap experience. Um, and, and if it hadn't been 2017, I think these technologies wouldn't even be possible, no less with the team that's actually coding and building this. Right. Um, mm -hmm. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, in, in a way, right, technology catches up to what the market actually wants. Mm -hmm. And you wouldn't have been able to build this five years ago. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. No, and we wouldn't have even been able to. Actually, most camera uh, brands that we've tested on, um, if it's older than five years, <laughs> we actually have a problem with compatibility. Um, we have other ways of getting around it to actually still uh, support those older models, but uh, only the new models have a certain configuration that actually talks to a system outside of the camera uh, hardware itself. Right, and actually I've been through this a couple of times, right? So if I take a picture of my daughter, and we try to do this every year around her birthday, I notice mm -hmm. that the cameraman has his digital camera connected to his Mac. It's generally a Mac, but it doesn't have mm -hmm. to be. And that the, the photos are flowing almost immediately into that sort of predetermined gallery and then, Correct. then later we then look at those photos, obviously have them edited, choose the ones we want, print out the ones that we want printed if we want them to, that to have happen. But for just anybody to be able to do that at scale, I think it's probably going to be hard. And maybe that's where your technology is catching up to this. You've built all this stuff in-house as well? Correct. So it, it, the credit has to go to the, the team and their leadership and actually somehow making this work. <laughs> um, it's easy for me to talk about it, but the true innovation is them grinding it out and creating that. Um, so you're completely right that in that case, we're not tethering via a cord right. to a MacBook, but a much more mobile, um, adaptive um, solution that regard, especially for event photographers, they're typically running around through tight spaces, lots of people around, um, and this still supports them to do their work without hindering um, their usual flow of how they shoot. 
Right. It's interesting to me too, right? We talked about this a little bit before. So I'm a terrible photographer. And even yesterday, I was meeting, yesterday, the day before, I can't remember, I was meeting somebody at the Park Hyatt in Bangkok. And as I was waiting for them, somebody in the lobby said to me, will you just please take my picture? Mm. And I just said to them, I'll do it. But in the end, it's going to end up being horrible. Even if it's just a snap on a phone, you should probably get somebody else better to do it because I just wasn't confident enough in my ability to be able to take that picture. And it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't a, um, a situation of me trying to be impolite or not helpful. I always love to do that, but I just didn't want to ruin that moment. <laughs> mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And in the old days, it was harder, right? Because if you... And I used to do this a lot, you know, a long time ago, but if you just had a film camera, you'd take a picture of someone, you had no idea what that was going to look like, potentially for a month, sure. because you had to go home first, and then take it out of the camera, and then go get it developed, so that was even worse, but... Sure. Yeah, and I mean, that's the... We're not quite there yet, but that's a future that we're building towards that is genuinely as on-demand as that, um, but I think there are also, uh, through this business at least, we've learned that there are different types of moments, right? There are moments right. that people want to capture just out of habits or comfort. It's not that they ever plan to print or preserve these visuals and nice. look at them 50 years later. Right, right. It's just in the moment they just feel like it and the phone makes it zero cost to actually capture that. Whereas there are moments that actually happen year to year, whether, you know, if you look at the calendar year as an individual, um, that's birthdays, anniversaries, Mother's Day, Father's Day, uh, whatever religious holiday that you celebrate. Right. That's almost, you know, half the months in a year. Um, and then, of course, if you look at the business calendar, then it's anything to do with new product launch, uh, quarterly visual updates. Uh, in the case of uh, the Ubers and Deliveroo, um, you, you're just shooting vendor photos Constantly. Um, every day. Yeah. Um, so there are different types of moments, and we're not imposing that Wandersnap should capture literally every moment there is, even those <laughs> moments in the lobby via uh, serendipity, but maybe one day. <laughs> so how big do you think this market is? And do you are your aspirations global? In other words, are there other competitors outside of the region that are doing similar things to you? Or is this something you feel like we can expand this thing um, endlessly? because the business model and the technology that we're building is, is different and better. I think we're, and then I'm not just saying it, but every business absolutely has um, competitive competition, sure, whether sure, it's sure. direct competition in other platforms that are similar or alternatives. Like I said, I'm thinking about smartphones and other industry uh, forces. And there's always competition, but I think our unique mix of this B2C coverage um, the B2B retainers and through which we have the sustained um, cash flow and also just learning in what different industries need when they think about visual. And then these deep technologies um, that each of these parts cannot stand alone. Standing alone on marketplace in itself poses a certain type of challenge. And if we had just built LIFO from day one and only had that to sell, that also wouldn't work. So right, I think right. our mix of all these different business models um, poses a pretty unique play in how we want to automate content um, as the overall and general vision. And you're right, absolutely, that the potential is global. Um, we enrolled a new partnership with Unsplash just a couple weeks ago. With who? Um, Unsplash. What's that? Um, so, so they're the world's biggest um, free stock photo site. Oh. And 
with them, um, it was a partnership to not only open up and recruit for photographer signups from uh, regions outside of Asia, but particularly to actually curate this library of content of Asia or Asians. Um, if you, any uh, moment, if you right, browse right, on right. Instagram, yep. you know, no offense, but it's no. usually beautiful blondes. White people everywhere. <laughs> at a Bali waterfall. Yeah, yeah. And again, it's not right or wrong, good or bad. It's just we want to show a more <laughs> diversified visual to this part of the world. Yeah, I mean, look, there's a massive bias in the world. I can say whatever I want because I'm in that category. <laughs> no, but I can say it. I'm in that category. There's way too many photos of white people in almost all situations, right? But and the world is more diverse than that. It's not a it's not a prejudice necessarily. It's not negative. It's mm-hmm. just like you said, the world is more diverse, and I want to look at a product that represents me, or at least mm-hmm. gives me a place where I can be represented. I think that's mm-hmm. really I think that's really important, and I don't think that's a new idea. Do you know what I mean? I think mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. just an idea that needs to be implemented. Um, aggressively, for lack of Correct. a better term. So, how are you? How are you seeing growth? Like, what are the challenges around growing, particularly one where you're in so many cities at the same time? Yeah, it's so many cities um, and so many product verticals. Right. Um, on a really small, lean team that sits everywhere. My team sits between Pakistan, Thailand, and Philippines. We're all in different time zones. We rarely spend. Uh, a same moment in the same place. Wow. Um, so it has its own inherent uh, challenges, strengths, yeah. but challenges. Um, I think moving forward, it's uh, for when we look at 2018, especially with our B2B and the live photo uh, businesses, it's just finding that sweet spot that sticks. Right. Uh, once we know what those niches are, um, then we have a thesis to actually um, hire much more aggressively um, to roll those out. Um, the B2C side, it's growing healthily just via SEO and um, various growth channels that we've set up. But the uh, priority um, is certainly on the B2B and live photos. Right, because that's the, as you said earlier, that's the place that sort of pays the bills and keeps the lights on. That's the annuity part of the business, right? Where once you sign somebody up to do that, it's pretty sticky, or at least it should be. And it's big because it's not just in one place, it's in an entire region or in, in the whole world, yeah. And it's uniquely Wondersnap. There's not, right. and a lot of the companies um, and teams that we speak to, they spend most of the call actually asking about how live photo works is they've never had someone call them and, and ask, would you like instantly available event photos? <laughs> it's just, they've never thought about it. They the pricing it, um, the, the potential of what that means for their content and social teams. So that's also a really exciting space, I think, as a creator myself to help um, companies and teams to think about that. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm just thinking about this from my perspective. So, if I'm at a conference, which I am, right? So I'm in India. I'm just about. I'm going to be speaking the next day or so at, start, mm. at Startup India Summit, talking about investments and stuff like that, cross border investments. But there are going to be 300, 350 to 400 people at this event. And here's what's really cool: there, there will always be photographers at events like this, right? Whether it's Tech in Asia or Echelon or whatever. But even, even those photos that get taken with a digital camera kind of don't get uploaded immediately in a way that makes any sense, and they're definitely not edited. This is actually a really cool um, venue for Wandersnap in the sense that you could be at every event, you know, at least regionally if not globally, taking pictures of it, have them edited. Have, that's the perfect example of where live photo is so powerful because everybody wants to post that stuff to Facebook. Even today, I got picked up at the airport. I got brought to a hotel, and the the woman who 
brought me here as part of the event said, I need to take a selfie of us just to promote, <laughs> just to promote the event, right? So there is a picture mm. of us standing in the lobby of the hotel saying, I'd like to welcome Michael to, you know, to Mumbai, whatever it was. Mm. But imagine if like you'd had a bunch of those, they get edited and then they just, that's it, live. That would just be so cool. And then that's, and that's exactly, you hit the, the nail right there that it makes it that much harder for someone to say no. Yeah. Uh, if we're just a marketplace, of course, we have our own value adds and why we think a Wondersnap snapper is much more qualified and superior to possibly just hiring your own freelancer. But even at that, if you have your own in-house teams and resources that shoot um, full-time, the live still solves an inherent bottleneck to that flow. Um, and again, it's, it's just a unique technology that we came up with. Um, so if anyone's listening out there and would like to try it for your events or your content team, um, just get in touch and we'd love to be able to show you what we do. But that's actually, sorry, I'm just starting to get my head around it. I think you can hear yeah. the change in, I think you can hear the change in my tone of voice. Like I'm just starting to figure it out. But that's actually really cool because even if you're taking like a family photo by the beach, right? Let's say you hire a snapper and again, you're on vacation in Bali, right? And it's not your wedding, but it's just like you and your friends on a trip to Bali. And you're sitting there taking snaps. Someone's doing it for you. So again, you eliminate the necessity for the selfie stick, which in and of itself is, you know, besides being goofy, just looks really goofy. But anyway, you now have (laughs) essentially a professional photographer taking pictures of you that get uploaded automatically to a place where people can see them that aren't there. Like that's so cool. And they're good pictures. They're not like, you know, blurry or silly pictures. They're really good pictures. That's actually really cool. And the use case of, and again, because of our unique mix of B2B and B2C, the B2B side of the business is just going to validate and give us the lessons that we need in thinking about instant photos. Um, There's still uh, many layers of technical challenges, compatibility, Wi-Fi, data connection, all that fun stuff. Sure, sure, Um, sure. And and I think the B2C side, it's just a lot of them, a lot of the guests that come in are already, um, for lack of a better word, sold on the experience of having custom content. They, the, the pain point on needing it right away is not even top of mind yet. A lot of There's still some education around uh, why do you need to hire a creator, what are you going to get out of it, how do you trust, how do you pay. But the B2B side is going to be just such a great foundation for us that needs no education. They know they need content to sell whatever it is that they're selling, and the instantaneousness is just going to enable them to do it much better. Um, so by the time when we take live photo um, and bring it to the B2C side of what we do, right. um, we should have a pretty uh, solid uh, product that will just change the way I think our guest thinks about the visual experience. Yeah, I'm sorry, but I can't stop thinking about this, right? So just think about, <laughs> <laughs> listen, to, listen to me selling to you, which I find is kind of funny. No, but think about, <laughs> think about this, right? Like just think about it. The normal event where there's a photographer, whether it's a first communion or a bar mitzvah or a wedding or something, right. and people will wonder, because, you know, think about in Asia in particular, I think, and again, I've been out of the United States for 30 years, so I don't know if people do this, but in Asia, you have, you know, brides and grooms have take photos of their wedding a month before the wedding takes place. And you have these mm-hmm. highly stylized photos that get published prior to the wedding, at the wedding venue, or at some studio that simulates the wedding venue. And those photos end up being beautiful, but slightly contrived, in my mind. Again, I'll say it because mm-hmm. I can take the risk and say it. But imagine if you're at that wedding, and you hire a snapper, or even at somebody's 
birthday party, 16th birthday party, or, you know, pick something, a communion. It doesn't really matter. And you mm-hmm. hire a snapper to do it, and then boom, all that stuff, those photos are now live. And people will wonder, Correct. how did you get an edited photo of an event that's in process, uploaded already, and it's already looking good? Like, that's amazing. And then to drill it even more real, um, it, it, genuinely, if, if there was a batch of 30 photos yeah. on the SD card, it takes less than 0.5 seconds to well, shoot it up to this dedicated landing page. I, I, I can't... I can't even make up how fast it actually is. But that's really cool, awesome. right? So if you've so if you've yeah. published like you know again, I'm gonna I'm gonna make this up, but it's you know if it's like mm. you know Jen's birthday, Jen's you know thirtieth birthday party, whatever it is, right? Mm. And then there is a dedicated landing page to that, and you've already told your friends globally, right? So the people that are in Vancouver but can't come to your birthday party in Hong Kong sure. but want to participate in it, and they see those things go up as it's happening. That's insane. Exactly, and 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 then in the in the business context for Tech in Asia, it's having those content live amplified onto Tech in Asia's Facebook page. Correct. And so we'll say Twitter feed uh, or whatever. Right Tech away. in Asia just added five photos to this album, and then it always stays on top of the newsfeed. Um, and then having that content feed into their actual um, online site um, and actually just updates from there. So this instant quality content delivery is just a totally different play. Um, and we're really excited um, to roll it out in 18 and just see more use cases of it. I can't wait. <laughs> Thank you. I guess the last thing that we didn't touch on in the interest of time was, um, yeah, our impact program. I, we started this call talking about that. Um, I had this Tell me. Revelate, or this experience in Nepal yep. that awoke yep. me into um, the mismatch in job opportunities and the pay that you make. And this has been also part of what we did from day one, where uh, we use part proceeds from our revenues to actually work with NGOs and teach photography to local youth communities. Um, so in Hong Kong, we've worked with uh, ethnic minority student groups um, and the rest of Southeast Asia, uh, youth groups who would otherwise have gone into very traditional service-oriented jobs. Um, and it's not to say that those jobs are not great. Um, the biggest difference is just that what you make is fairly standardized to your pay grade. And it takes right. a long time to break out of that. And with creative services, you set what you make. If you get right. better and you're talented, and you work hard at the skill, you can just change the price by literally going into my, your profile page and do it with a click of a button. Right. Um, and that's we haven't drifted too far from that, and I hope that um, as our business grows, um, we can also just work with much more students to bring photography as a job opportunity. Right. I mean, look, I have this philosophy. I'm sure we talked about this over the summer as well. And I think that just in the photography space, that the greatest photographer in the world, right, up until now, has been the people that have been exposed to the most expensive cameras, the most expensive equipment, and enough time, enough leisure time, really, to be able to perfect um, that craft. And yet, the reality is that the greatest photographer in the world may live in a place where they have no access to great equipment, and if you can have impact exposing people to new technologies, right? If the cost of those technologies are dropping or they're just the, um, the availability of them becomes more ubiquitous, Correct. I think then you're having real impact to use your word. But that, that part of this business 
and actually every business is really important to me because I really believe, you know, we talk a lot about just in sport of the fastest human. We don't even know who that person is because that person has not been given the proper nutrition, the proper training Mm -hmm. or the proper exposure. And it's the same thing in every vertical. Sorry to be so Mm -hmm. philosophical, but the greatest photographer Mm -hmm. in the world hasn't been found yet because they may not have Mm -hmm. access to a camera. Mm, Absolutely. And then in a world where, Technology is so affordable and accessible. That's the least that we can do. And we're very present to teaching someone a skill is not necessarily going to change what food they put on the table. If you bring in with that a pipeline of demand and job opportunities, that's when they will take that skill very seriously and invest behind it. Right. Um, Right. And that's that's the other powerful part about the Wondersnap um, platform, and that is it's multi-sided, right? So you can teach someone to be a great photographer all day, and yet if they don't have the flip side, the demand for that photography and those skills, it's nice, but it doesn't mean much, yeah? Correct, correct. Anyway, look, I think this has been a fabulous conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Thank you for coming on this ride and, and going through all the different valleys and hills in the last hour with us <laughs> but you can see like you can see the like the, my mindset particularly on this live thing i can't get my i can't get my uh, my mind <laughs> off of this um because that's new since the last time we talked among some of the other things as well but i really appreciate you taking the time jen to um to go through this again and to go through it in a in a form that's public as well i think people that listen to this will really appreciate hearing the story so um, you I want to tell people you setting it up, Michael. Oh, it's my pleasure. You want to tell people how they can reach you, where they can find you in multiple places, and then we'll just say thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So our website is wandersnap.co. You can find us on uh, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, Twitter, the the, the works, um, and or you can contact me at Jen at wandersnap.co. Super. Thank you again. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at www.asiatechpodcast.com.